Let's turn together in our Bibles as we desire to serve only Jesus uh, today to Genesis chapter number 28 in our continuation through uh, this great first book of the Bible that lays out for us the beginning, uh, the beginning of not just creation, but we've seen also especially the beginning of the people of God, God's covenants uh, with our forefathers and foremothers, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and now especially with Jacob. And, and all these promises and all these covenants are leading us eventually to the day that we now live in, the days of Jesus, the days of the gospel. And so Genesis 28, uh, let's begin reading there, uh, verse 1 down uh, to the end at verse 22. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram uh, to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalat, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. In verse 10 here, especially this morning. Uh, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, 
And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. And all of God's people say, Amen. There's a famous song, and uh, it's actually a song of, uh, of African Americans in the South under slavery, but it's become a little, a little uh, Christian uh, children's song uh, in our sort of modern evangelical American world. All, all things end up becoming uh, money makers, don't they? Uh, you can make CDs, and, uh, and you can make uh, little YouTube videos, and you can monetize those things these days with little kids singing this song. And it goes like this. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Soldiers of the cross. Every round goes higher, higher. Every round goes higher, higher. Every round goes higher, higher. Soldiers of the cross. Are you ready this morning to join me in climbing up? I guess not. Well, too bad. There's no ladder. There actually was no ladder. Too bad it actually wasn't Jacob's. And too bad he didn't actually climb up it, did he? Right? We, we speak of Jacob's ladder. But uh, you see the little sermon title with a question mark. There was no ladder. It wasn't Jacob's. He didn't actually climb it. You see, we come to this very familiar story. It's somewhat familiar to us, at least in, in sort of a... Uh, the Christian world, and maybe we teach our kids these stories. Uh, we talk about Jacob's ladder, and uh, he laid down, he used a rock for a pillow, right? What kind of strange world was that? They used rocks for pillows back then. Uh, but we come to this very famous story, very familiar story of the life of Jacob, and, and the fact that we, 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 we think of this as Jacob's ladder, it just reminds us that we need uh, the work of the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes and our hearts to understand really what's going on here to not only interpret it correctly, but to apply it correctly as well. Uh, and as I mentioned before, as we went to the story of the life of Abraham, it was very clear that the, the focus of Abraham's life uh, in the narrative of Genesis was on faith, was on faith. But when we come to the story of Jacob, his grandson, uh, it's clearly uh, a focus on God's grace. Of course, all of it is God's grace, but the focus here on Jacob especially was the grace of God being revealed to this child of the covenant. Uh, And Jacob 28 continues the theme of God's amazing grace here in the life of Jacob. And and that's why it's Jacob's ladder, right? The question mark. It's about God here. God and his grace. We'll see that especially. Uh, And as the story goes on, notice there, as, uh, as it begins in the first nine verses or so, just quickly to mention those verses, I want to focus on verse 10 and following. Uh, but, but Esau has planned the murder of his little brother Jacob. We saw that. Uh, Jacob has stolen uh, his birthright, he, or he's tricked the birthright. He's, he's tricked and stolen and plotted and schemed, we saw last Sunday, uh, to get the blessing of his father Isaac. That's important because the blessing, uh, we might, you know, we think today words don't matter much. But in those days... The word was the treaty. It was the covenant. Uh, it was the law. It was enforceable in a court of law. And so that blessing was very important that he got. That oral will was his last will and testament. And so Esau now is planning to murder his little brother, Jacob, to get, he thinks at least, to get that blessing 
back. And so Rebekah, Jacob's mom, Esau's mom, uh, sends Jacob off to get him away from his, from his big brother so that he won't be murdered. So, so she sends him about 500 miles north to the land of Haran. Isaac, who's blind by this point, he thinks he's dying, we saw that last Sunday in ver- uh, chapter 27, uh, he sort of caught wind of the trip. Rebekah, my wife, is sending my son uh, Jacob to Haran. And so then he gives him this sort of fatherly, you know, oomph to get out of the house, right? This little, this little extra blessing uh, that he was, in fact, despite the tricks, the connivings, the, the confusions, right? Esau goes out and gets the food and makes the food, and, and there's Isaac, or uh, there's Jacob and Rebekah making their own food, putting animal skins on, on Jacob to trick. Despite all that, Isaac recognizes the providence plan and purpose of God, and so he sends off his son Jacob, who indeed is the chosen son, through whom all the world would be blessed. We see that there, verses 3 and 4, especially that Jacob uh, is blessed by Isaac, and Isaac recognizes, despite all the sin of the story, yes, in fact, this son, who is in desperate need of God's grace, this son is the son of promise. He's the one through whom that that promised and blessed seed of the woman back in Genesis 3.15 would come. Uh, He's the one uh, through whom God's promise of a great comforter greater than Noah would come. He's the one through whom the the seed, the the blessing of Abraham and now Isaac and now Jacob would come. And so he blesses him. He sends him out with his blessing uh, in the grace and the mercy uh, and the peace of God. And notice as he describes that blessing, right? It's a, it's a blessing of multiplication. Uh, may he make your offspring and so forth, take possession of the land uh, and so forth, become a company of peoples, be fruitful, and may he multiply you and so forth. So we very clearly recognize that goes all the way back to the garden, Genesis 1, that goes all the way back to the covenant with Noah, Genesis uh, 6 through 9 and so forth. That, 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 that's the very same promise that God had made. The Lord Almighty had made to Father Abraham, and now he makes it through Isaac to Jacob. So we're following this one great promise, this one great theme. Now what's interesting, just to kind of skip ahead and just, you know, think of, of ourselves here today, that that very same promise of multiplying and being fruitful and blessing, uh, in the beginning, in the garden, that was a command to Adam and to Eve. It was a command to be fruitful, to multiply. But of course, after the fall now, the, the onus rests upon God. It is God who multiplies. It is God who makes fruitful the covenant people. And we see that come to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who is lifted up and who draws all peoples to himself. And we see that as he's raised from the dead on, on Resurrection Easter Sunday, and then he commissions and commands his disciples to go into all the earth to do what? To make disciples of all the nations, right? Which nations? All of them. The same nations that God said would be blessed in Father Abraham. The same blessing. And you see that come to its reality in the apostles and through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. As we read in the book of Acts, Luke uses this very similar phrase uh, multiple times after the gospel was preached and sinners were saved and the word increased greatly and the church was multiplied. And so Genesis, what is it, 1 verse uh, 27, 28, 29 
be fruitful and multiply, comes to reality in and through the church of Jesus Christ until the end of the age when the Lord returns and he gathers all four corners of the earth. And there is there before his face and before his throne a multitude which no man can number of every tribe, peoples, language, and nation. And so this, this blessing from Isaac to his son Jacob is a foreshadowing of what you and I are here today. Do you realize that? I mean, as far as I can tell, there's a lot of us here from a lot of different places. Our, our ethnicities go back. Our family trees go to different parts of the globe. But we're all one in Christ. And we're all the, the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ himself, our elder brother. He's drawn us together. The, the story all draws us together in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, that reminds us that God, God's in the business of saving sinners, isn't he? God saves sinners. Uh, we're, we're, not, we're not dealing here with stories of heroes and, and, and sinless saints. We're, we're dealing here with sinners. God saves sinners. And so all that is going on here, and it's interesting just as a, as a quick Side note before we move into our points there. Uh, notice Esau recognizes uh, that, his, uh, uh, that his father uh, has sent away his, his brother. And so Esau is now trying to please his dad as well and somehow get his blessing back by taking Ishmael's sister-in-law as his wife and so forth. Right? It just, again, reminds us that the dysfunction in this family was great. God saves sinners. God saves sinners. So let's focus our hearts and minds on verse 10 uh, and following. That's, that's really the, the, the famous part of the story. But all this is going on, and I want you to see here the amazing grace of God once again in the life of Jacob in three ways. First of all, the Lord reveals his grace here. Right? We, we turn to the story in our, in our Sunday school curriculum, and it's Jacob's ladder. But it's really a re- revelation of grace. God's grace. You see, the problem with that word ladder, Jacob's ladder. I mean, our ESV says Jacob's dream, thankfully, but not, not Jacob's ladder. But the problem with that word ladder is that it, a ladder is something that, for us, you pull out of your shed or the side yard, at least at our house. I take the ladder, I set it up against one of my palm trees, and kids, what would I do with a ladder in my backyard? I have high palm trees, they have these little seed pods that make a mess. Dad's got to climb up the ladder, right? You've got to get up there and you've got to do your work. And hopefully not fall down, okay? But a ladder is what you climb up. You use a ladder to, to go up to do something, right? It's, it's for you to climb. And so the problem with the, the word ladder, we think of Jacob's ladder, is that it's something that Jacob climbs up, we think. Yet we notice in the story that it's all about uh, 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 not Jacob, uh, not his going up to God, not his you know, work, his merit, whatever it might be. Notice, it's God who comes down in grace. This Lord who makes covenants with his children reveals once again his grace here. He's not in the business of rewarding merits and good works. Jacob doesn't build a ladder and go up into heaven and grab the blessing for himself. It reminds us that the story of Jacob is all about what Paul tells us. By grace you have been saved... Through faith, it's not of yourself. 
It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. How was Jacob saved? By grace. By grace. And you can see that in the very details the, the detail, detail of the story this morning. That, that he's fleeing or he's trying to flee from Esau to flee this, this family squabble, this drama, his impending death and doom. He's going to find a wife. Notice that the text tells us that he came on his travels to a certain place. Verse 11, the sun has gone down and it's time to go to bed. It's a rock, right, for a pillow and so forth. There's nothing about his efforts here at all. The Lord, in fact, is the farthest thing from Jacob. I mean, he's just going because mom told him to go get a wife, right? He's fleeing what Esau wants to do. It's not about his works at all. But just like with his grandfather, Abram, Abraham, the Lord appears in a dream. Notice verse 12. Right? This is not Jacob daydreaming his own dream. No, this is God, the Lord, revealing himself in a dream. And in this dream, he sees this, this staircase kind of a structure. Something most likely, this is ladder here, the ESE, it's something most likely like the ancient ziggurats, these staircase step structures that were used to sort of ascend to heaven as temples, sort of like a pyramid, but yet with steps on it to get to the top. And at the top was the, the place where the gods would dwell with the priests and so forth. And you see that also there, verse 12, notice that, that uh, this ladder, this structure, reaches up to heaven. So it's this image, this ancient image, is most likely of a ziggurat, this tower, Right? We've seen it already in Genesis chapter 11. The Tower of what? Babel, right? The Tower of Babel. And why they build that tower? Let's make a name for ourselves and to do what? Get up into heaven. What did God do? It's a Jenga tower, right? Knocked it all down, right? Destroyed it. Confused them. Sent them, out, sent them packing uh, to all the nations. And so... Uh, on this structure, the staircase, this ladder, notice, it's not Jacob who's ascending, it's angels of God ascending up and descending down. Notice verse 13. So it's God who's, God gives the dream. The dream is of this staircase structure to heaven where angels of God are coming down and going back up. And there's a third detail that shows that this is all about the grace of God, not about Jacob's earning and working and deserving. We read there in verse number uh, 13, the ESV says, Behold, the Lord stood above it and said. And you might have a Bible that has a little note there, and it it says something like, Or beside him. The Lord stood above it or beside him. Or beside him. This little phrase is used other times in Genesis uh, to speak of an intimate closeness, to be beside somebody, to be at their side. 
He does, in other words, he's not revealing himself here, notice, as El Shaddai, the God Almighty, who revealed himself to Abram in Genesis 15. But no, but he's revealing himself as the Lord. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of your father, Isaac. He's, he's right there next to Jacob. He is El Shaddai. He is above, as it were, the staircase. God is enthroned. The angels of God come from him and they, they go back to him. But in this case, God himself, the Lord himself, has descended down and stands there next to Jacob in that dream. He's close to him. He's coming in grace to Jacob, not in power. He's standing next to Jacob and, and speaking to him gracious, comforting words reaffirming to Jacob that, yes, you, Jacob, sinner, heel grabber, blessing stealer, right? You are the one that I've chosen through whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And you see that in verses 13 uh, and 14. The land in which you lie, well, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. That kind of sounds like the sand of the seashore and the stars in heaven, doesn't it? That sort of a promise, right? You're going to go to the north, south, east, west. In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That sounds exactly what God said to Abraham. Because it is. Because it is. So God, in his grace, is revealing himself to this scoundrel Jacob, this sinner Jacob. Notice verse 15. The Lord applies the promise to him. I am with you. There's a staircase. The angels of God are coming up and down. The Lord is standing right there beside him. And he's saying very promising words. I am with you. I will keep you. Notice the I, right? That's what God is doing. I will bring you back. I will not leave you and so forth. You see, there's Jacob there in this, in this sort of wilderness experience. There's Jacob who, who, who's followed his mom's words. I said last Sunday that he honored his mother only to dishonor his father by stealing, tricking, uh, scheming for the blessing. And there he is, thinking that he's done the right thing, but yet it was not the right thing. And there he is on the run from his, from his older brother, who's trying to murder him. Although God has said, the older is going to serve the younger, right? It's, but yet, humanly speaking, it's a big mess. He's disillusioned by life's hard circumstances. Why am I on the run? If I am the child of promise, why am I on the run? He's on the run. Disillusion. He's on the run because of his sin. He's, proverbially speaking, he's as far away from God as he could possibly get. He's leaving the promised land. He's leaving the family of faith. But yet, where's God? Life is hard. He's sinned multiple times in the story. He's running away from the promised land. Where's God? It just tells you where, where he's at. Where's God? It tells you where he's at. He's right there. Right? I am with you. I am with you. It's that presence, right? It's that personal presence of God. Yes, he is God Almighty. Yes, he has made all things out of nothing. We confess him this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, the beginning God. But he's also Lord. He's also the covenant God. He's also the God who's with us. 
He's, also, he's the guy who says, I'm with you, I will not leave you. You see that? I am with you, I will not leave you. It's two ways of saying the same thing. I am with you, I will not leave you. That's that personal presence that Jesus Christ promises to all of us. And when we, when, we, when we receive little ones in our midst, as we did uh, previously, and, and we baptize babies, and we, and we see them as members of the covenant, whether it's at that moment or it's at the moment of death itself, Jesus promises to be with us, never to leave us. I am with you. I will not leave you. Jacob needed to hear that. He needed to hear that. We need to hear that. The Lord promises to you and to me who come to him in faith in Jesus Christ. He promises to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can separate you from my love in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I, I say that because, you know, we, again, we think of these stories, of these, 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 they're merely heroes, right? The hall of faith, these sinless sort of savior-like figures, Jacob needed to hear this promise just like you and I do. And so he was gracious in revealing himself, revealing his words of promise to Jacob. Uh, He's accommodating himself. He's coming down to the level of Jacob right there next to him in the dream, in the dream. He, He experienced... At, uh, in that dream, as his head lay upon that rock, and in that dream world, as he stood there at the base of that, of that heavenly structure, there was the Lord right next to him. And, and he experienced a little foreshadowing there of what would eventually happen when the Son of God, the Lord, was incarnate and born of the Virgin Mary. Before the incarnation, here is the son in his pre-incarnate form, pre-incarnate state. Here he is stooping down that that ladder, right? That, that, That staircase down from heaven to earth to stand next to Jacob on the run. There's the Lord, right? That's that's how far the the God that we serve goes to comfort us in our sorrows. He comes down to us. And there was a man once by the name of Nathanael who believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the King of Israel. And he saw Jesus and he believed in him. And then Jesus saw him in a crowd and he was climbing up into into a fig tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, John 1, 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending, interestingly, he says, on the Son of Man. In the incarnation of the Son of God in human flesh, Jesus is the gate of heaven. Jesus is the house of God. And the angels of God are up. They're coming on him. They're, they're leaving him. They're serving him and so forth. Right? He's, he's the center of gravity of all the story. And while all other religions provide you and or at least claim to provide you with a, with a ladder, here's the ladder. 
go to Mass seven days a week, do all the sacraments and so forth, make your confessions and so forth. Here's the ladder, go on a two-year Mormon mission. Right? Here's the ladder, knock on doors as a JW. Right? Do your best, become part of the 144,000 and so forth. Here's the ladder, whatever it might be, the, the, the way of earning our salvation. In, we were down at soccer and we drove past uh, an Armenian Orthodox church, right? And so there, there's also forms of religion where it's very ethnically centered. As long as you belong to that particular ethnic group in that particular church, right, you can be saved. While all the religions provide us with ladders, only, only the religion that is revealed in, in the Holy Scriptures provides you with a Savior who stooped down from heaven to earth, to come alongside sinners like Jacob, like you, to save you from your sins. And already here then in Genesis 28, here is the gospel to us. God calling you and calling me to turn away from our futile efforts to climb up ladders to heaven, to turn from those futile ways and to embrace the God who's already come down, Jesus Christ. He stooped down on a ladder, so to speak, so that you don't have to. So that you don't have to climb up. No, he takes you with him. That's the good news, that God comes down to sinners and takes us to heaven. That's the gospel. And we praise God for his amazing revelation of grace. And, and, and when the gospel comes, when the good news comes to Jacob here, there's nothing else he could do but respond to it. Up to this point, he doesn't really seem like a believer at all. He's schemed, he's plotted, he's tricked, he's planned. He's, he's running away and so forth. But notice his faith in response. His faith, we begin to see his faith here in response. He embraces this Lord who revealed himself in his dream as his Savior. Verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. This, verse 17, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Where's the, where's the house? Where's the gate? Where is he? What great temple structure is he at now, doing, doing service at, doing worship at? As far as we know, he's somewhere out in the field and he just takes a rock and he lays his head down. There's, there is no physical structure here. There is no temple structure. There's no house here. There's no gate where he, he walks through the gate and he goes into heaven. The house. What is the house? What is the gate, brothers and sisters? What's the house here? What's the gate here? It's the Lord, isn't it? Right? The presence of God. The presence of God. Where's the house of God today? Where, where do we need to go on this earth to do, a, to do a pilgrimage? Is it in Mecca? Is it in Rome? Is it in some reformed city? Right? Geneva, Heidelberg, right? Is it in, yeah, is it, is it, is it do, we, do we have to go to Jerusalem and be baptized in the Jordan River? Where is the presence of God today? Right here. Right here. The house of God, the gate of God, is wherever two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name. That's where Jesus Christ promises to be. And So you see here, when, when the Lord is present with his promise, right, his word, 
Wherever the word is, wherever the gospel is, the promises, that's where God is. That's where God is. How sweet and awesome is the place, one hymn writer says, with Christ within the doors, while earnestly love displays the choicest of her stores. Wherever we find ourselves, two or three, in that place, at that coffee shop, here in this place here this morning, wherever it might be, Jesus Christ, because he is with his word, is present. And so he has faith, and he embraces that for the first time, as we've seen it so far. But notice he also worships in response to his grace. He believes the Lord, and he worships God because of his grace. So, so he's not only engaged in affirmation of what God has said, but also dedication of himself. It's not just that we must believe the gospel, but we've got to be engaged then in actually serving God in response. He takes that stone and he laid upon it at night. He pours some oil out on top of it. Sort of a strange thing to do for us, but that's an act of consecration. He's setting it apart. As this is a special remembrance, a special thing uh, for the glory of God. He takes a vow. Notice there, he makes a promise. But don't think of that promise as a conditional thing, right? You know, if all this stuff, well, then that stuff. This is not a prosperity gospel, brothers and sisters. Whenever you read, most of the time you read in the scriptures, if, then, language, we think of that as conditions in the sense of, you know, as long as I pray the prayer and I do the right stuff, I get, I get the good stuff. We already think of it as a doubt thing, you know. Well, Jacob's still doubting here, you know, he... He's not quite sure that God's going to do what he's going to do, and so he makes an if-then kind of a statement. No, the if there is, it has a sense of since, since. So he makes that vow there uh, in, in, in reverence and in awe. Since God will be with me, verse 20, and will keep me in this way that I go and, and so forth. So it's not an, it's not an if, you know, a doubt of what God has said. No, it's an affirmation of what God has said. Since God has said these things in his promise, right? Therefore, the Lord will be my God. Again, he's embracing by faith. He's embracing by faith. The Lord's promised and he's just affirming it. Showing loyalty, right? And and he he worships, right? He, He dedicates the place. He dedicates that stone. He pours oil on it. And he even pledges an offering of a tenth of all that he has. And so, his worship takes on a tangible expression, just like it does with us. That's why we gather together. We're just two or three are gathered. That's where Jesus Christ is present. We can read the word when we should read the word daily. We should pray daily. Uh, we, we, we offer our lives as living sacrifices. Every act of our lives as Christians is an act of worship to God, or they should be. But we also find tangible expression of our religion when we come together. Uh, when we come to hear words spoken to our ears and we come to see with our eyes and, and, and hold in our hands and taste with our lips the sacraments, to sing out in glory to God, to, to uh, in the New Testament, it was, the, it was the right hand of fellowship or the holy kiss, or it might be the hug or the fist bump today, whatever it might be, right? The tangible expression of love. words and there's, and there's water, there's wine, there's bread, there's all these tangible things that, that make up our worship, that we serve God, we, we offer up in dedication to God as we sang this morning. 
So here's God revealing his grace. Here's Jacob responding to the grace of God in faith and in worship. And then finally, and just, 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 just briefly, notice there's also what's going on here is the Lord's renovation with grace. So far up to this point in the story, just to, just to say it again, up to this point in the story, in chapter 25, we learn that Jacob was, was deceitful. He was opportunistic. And he was willing to take advantage of his own brother. Right? Esau's out there hunting, bringing back some food. Jacob knows that he's going to do this, and so he cooks up some, some lentil stew himself. Esau gets back. He's exhausted. He just wants some food. He says, I'm going to die. And so he, just give me the food. And, and Jacob takes advantage of that and says, well, you know, if you just, you just uh, renounce your birthright and give it to me, then, then I'll give you this food. And he says, what do I care about a birthright? Give me the food. So we've learned that, that, that Jacob so far has been deceitful, opportunistic, taken advantage of his own brother. Last Sunday we saw in chapter 27 that he's, again, deceitful, opportunistic, willing to lie, willing to take God's name in vain, we saw. He took God's name in vain, in fact. Why? To get the blessing from his father. The blessing that he would have, already, that he would have from God's vantage point, received anyway. In fact, the only thing we've learned about him saying about the Lord anywhere in the story was last Sunday in chapter 27 at verse 20 when, uh, when uh, he was at, uh, after Isaac asked him how he was able to catch an animal and prepare it so quickly. Jacob said in response, because the Lord your God granted me success. No, it's because mom knew what was going on and you just follow along. So up to this point, we haven't seen much redeemable virtue in this man and that's the point that's the point but we see also in this story this morning the beginning of the lord's renovation of grace in his life transforming him changing him from the inside out right uh, he called him the lord your god in chapter 27 verse 20 the lord your god who is dead but here he is speaking of the lord as as my god verse 21 the lord is my god in verse 21 He's been far from God in his thoughts, words, and deeds up to this point, but now we see the Lord at work, right? And that's the, that's the defining difference between, a, between a, a sinner and a saint, you know, between unbeliever and believer. A man or a woman whose mind has nothing to do with God and one who all of a sudden thinks about God in right ways. One who hates God, one who loves God. One who wants to save themselves to the latter, one who wants to receive what God has done on the cross in Jesus Christ. The difference is the Holy Spirit, Right? It wasn't that he went on some pilgrimage and he was enlightened by himself, by his own works, that he comes to this realization. No, it's God who's at work in his heart. God is at work in his heart, changing him from the inside out, renovating him from the inside out. He now acknowledges God's presence in his life. He now embraces the Lord by faith. He now dedicates his life in service to God. What a change in this Jacob. What a difference in this man that we see up to this point. You see, we must, we must as God's children, as even those within the covenant, especially those within the covenant community, we have to embrace all the things that Jacob had to embrace, the presence of God, faith in the Lord, serving God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. We have to experience it, embrace it for ourselves. It wasn't enough that God was the God of Abraham and Isaac. He also, by faith, had to become the God of Jacob. And he did. 
You see, we, we are not in this story. We're not encouraged to follow the example of climbing Jacob's ladder as soldiers of the cross. No, but in contrast, as one hymn says, from heaven above to earth I come to bear good news to every home. Glad tidings of great joy I bring, whereof I now will say and sing. The Lord revealed himself in grace to Jacob in that unnamed particular place. So that ultimately, what the Lord revealed there in that dream to Jacob would come. Not in a dream, but in reality. The seed of the woman that God promised to to Adam and Eve. The great comforter greater than Noah that God promised to Noah and the world. That seed, that, that son, that blessing to all the nations that God had said, the Lord had said to Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. The Lord revealed himself in that dream for the purpose of bringing us ultimately to Jesus. The Son of God, the Savior of the world, who's come down out of heaven to bring you, sinner, back up to God. And he calls you and me this morning to respond, to respond in faith. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior who's come out of heaven, from heaven to this world. Believe and worship him. Give your life to him. Serve him with all that you have. He's worth it. He's worth it. As we'll sing in a moment, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Let's pray. Our great, our gracious, heavenly Father, we bless and praise you. We love you today because you have first loved us and given your son to die on the cross for us. We don't deserve, but yet, Lord, you are gracious. And so in your kindness now we pray that you would encourage us and help us as we come now to the Lord's Supper, to receive the great blessings that you have for us, to reaffirm your grace, to reaffirm faith, hope, and love in you. We pray, Father, that you would draw to yourself in this place, and Lord, through us, wherever we might find ourselves this week, draw to yourself those who need to know Jesus, who are wandering sinners like Jacob and like we once were too. We ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people say Amen. Let's turn together in response and sing number 538. 538, take my life and let it.